0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On the Sunday before Lent our lessons highlight the theme of the upcoming season and its most important point. In the gospel Jesus says, quote, behold we go up to Jerusalem. And then he prophesies his suffering, death and resurrection. In Lent we go up to Jerusalem In Christ, our participation in his suffering reflects the experience of our baptism. As Colossians says, we were buried with Christ in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through faith. The baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit brings us into a continual sharing in the sufferings of Christ which leads us into a continual experience of his resurrection. Lent is a season during which we cultivate and intensify the experience of dying with Jesus by the practice of spiritual disciplines. We say no to familiar and comfortable things. We fast. We say yes to new practices of silence and prayer, these practices facilitate the work of the Holy Spirit in us by removing barriers and making us more open to that work. The goal of these disciplines is to come to a new experience of the resurrection of Christ and our celebration of Easter. The epistle highlights a danger in our spiritual practices. It is possible to do spiritual and religious things for the wrong reasons and end up with no benefit from them, no resurrection to show for our pain. If I give all my money away, but my real goal, my motive, is to get a building named after me, or if I'm willing to die as a martyr, but my real motive is that I want people to see me as a great saint. I'm doing these things without the motive of love and will have no profit from them. That's what the epistle is saying to us. The danger of Lent is to see its disciplines as merit-based activities that earn a deserved reward including the praise of others. And of course, I want to make sure that I'm doing just a little bit more than you were doing during Lent so I can satisfy my own spiritual pride. Jesus said of people who practice self-centered and showy fasting, quote, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The epistle expresses the truth that what we do is less important than why we do it. But two clarifying points are needed here. First, if I have the right motive of love, it will lead me into action. To say that motive is more important than action is not to say that Action is unimportant. The error of having love but not acting on it is a different spiritual issue, the deadly sin of sloth. Second, the good I do with the wrong motive may well provide a lot of benefit for other people. If I give a lot of money to build a church for the sole reason that I want a building of the church named after me, a lot of people will benefit for the fact that a church was built. However, it, quote, profits me nothing because it does not contribute to my spiritual progress as an individual. And this leads to the third and important point, which requires honesty. All of us have mixed motives. As the head of a charitable agency once said, If we waited for people with completely pure motives, we'd never get any work done. We want to do good things for Christ, but we also have lesser subterranean motives. We are aware of some of our inferior motives, but some motives are now hidden from us. Often we don't fully understand our interior impulses. God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, knows this. He accepts our partial motive of love as part of our growth into the fullness of love. As we continue to live in Christ, we will continue to grow in love. God will reveal more to us about ourselves. He will bring to light motives now hidden in darkness, and he will purify those motives so that we can love better. This is the goal of Lent. Now, most people will agree that we ought to love, but what does this really mean to love? The main error today when people talk about love is what we might call sentimentality. Love is understood as mainly having loving feelings. Thus to say that we should love each other has a sense of meaning that we should feel lovingly towards each other. Since feelings always go away at some point, The inevitable result of this emphasis will be a failure to love. This is why it is easier to love people in that way, the further away from us they are. Pictures of starving children overseas tug at the heartstrings. However, if we were to travel overseas and live with them for a long time, we would discover that they can be just as selfish and annoying as the children who live with us. This is the natural arc of all relationships. Relationships begin with heartfelt attraction, with feelings of love. But at some point, the idealistic illusion of sentimentality is burst. If love is to continue beyond that point, it must be based in something larger than how I feel right now. The source of our ability to truly love is God's love for us, specifically his love for us on the cross. Thus, the gospel for Quinquagesima illustrates the truth expressed by the epistle. The epistle says we must act with love. The gospel shows us what this love really is. Quote, he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit on. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. On the cross, God's feelings of love towards us are joined with his actions of love for us. God does what we really need, what is really best for us, even though it involves sacrifice. Thus, to love as God loves will eventually mean to suffer for the good of the beloved. Mere sentimentality will be separated from real agape at the point where the good of the beloved requires pain. The unwillingness to suffer for the good of the other, whether the other is a friend or an enemy, reveals the falsity of our love. Something else must be highlighted here. We must also purify our motives as to how we determine the good of another if love means acting for the good of another. We often determine another's good based on what we want for them rather than what is truly best for them. Then we justify our selfish actions, our manipulation, as it were, as love. I only wanted what was best for you. God is working in us to help us grow in love and God is patient with us. The point for today's purposes is that the only worthy goal of our fasting and adding disciplines in Lent is that they will help us grow in our ability to truly love. This means to grow in our ability to love when it hurts not just when it feels good. And such growth will always require a measure of surrender of control. Paradoxically, this means first of all, growing in our own experience of God's love for us. In order to love others, to act for their good, in in spite of their sins and weaknesses, and impure motives, we must first experience God's love for us as people with sins and weaknesses and impure motives. Our own experience of agape love is the foundation for loving others in that same way. This involves moving beyond the merely cognitive belief, the belief in the mind, the idea, that God loves me as a sinner, into an experience of God's love for me exactly as I am. Most of our behavior has a measure of projection to it. We act towards others out of our own interior experience. As Jesus said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Therefore, we must change our interior experience of God's love in order to change our motives and our behavior. The goal of Lent should be to cultivate a renewed experience of God's love for you exactly as you are, with hidden motives and impure love. If you can taste just a little bit more of God's love for you, as you are right now, you will be able to love him and others just a little bit more with better motives. In our Lenten fasting and prayers, let us keep this goal firmly in mind, For without it, as our collect today says, all our doings are nothing worth. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.